Our gracious God in heaven, we thank you for the blessing of this Lord's Day. And on this Lord's Day, where your people have gathered to worship you. And we are reminded on this first day of the week of your resurrection and the life that we have in Christ. And we thank you that we rest in his finished work as we rest from our labors. And so we pray today that as we study the Proverbs together, that your Holy Spirit would guide us and direct us, that you would be glorified through this time of teaching. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I feel like it, it, because of how long it's been since we were together, I'll do just a quick recap of where we were. Um, you'll note the date on the top of the notes that uh, are on the tables in front of you. Um, we're a little behind on where we were, uh, but what did we look at before? And as we have moved into working our way through the Proverbs topically and on this topic of laziness and work, uh, what I did two weeks ago was to walk you through uh, the questions of, is work a pre-fall ordinance or a post-fall curse? And uh, I've received quite a bit of feedback instantly on this, and so I think for some of you, either this was new or you needed a reminder of it. And I'm thankful for that feedback of it. We learned that, in fact, work does, in fact, uh, is a blessing from God. God gave it to us before the fall. And yet, the, the fall did impact work. And we looked at that, and, and we looked at why do we work, and also we looked at rest. You may recall that we, we talked about, well, what's the difference between rest and, and laziness? And, and somebody said, and I, I really enjoyed this, was after class, uh, but they said, well, rest is a blessing from God, laziness is a sin. No, that's that's a helpful distinction. I think that that um, that's a good way to look at this because in our culture, oftentimes we we see the two blended together. Um, a, a friend of mine years ago, but a, but a friend of mine um, that I would see fairly regularly, uh, it, he seemed to to brag about laziness. And it just would just always go all over me. Like, well, why, why, why are you, why are you bragging about that? You know, he'd talk, he'd, he'd talk about, you know, oh, I, 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 I was lucky if I hit five hours of work this week. And I was like, well, that's not good. That's not. But, but he would, he would brag. And this was a Christian brother. He would brag about it like this was something uh, that was good. And I, and, and I thought after that person said it to me after the class, I thought, well, that's somebody that doesn't realize the sin of laziness. That this is not something uh, that we are to hold up and exalt, but rather uh, we are to see it as sin. However, we're also not to lead that understanding uh, to lead us to workaholicism or 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 overworking or or taking the Lord's day and considering it just another work day of the week and so forth and so on. And so there should be a right and biblical understanding of rest. So that's what we looked at two weeks ago, right? And so uh, I, I came across this poem this week that I thought summarized this so well. Wendell Berry writes, <clears throat> Whatever is foreseen in joy must be lived out from day to day. Vision held open in the dark by our 10,000 days of work. Harvest will fill the barn. For that, the hand must ache, the face must sweat, and yet... No leaf or grain is filled by work of ours. The field is tilled, 
and left to grace, that we may reap great work is done while we're asleep. When we work well, a Sabbath mood rests on our day and finds it good. And I I thought that was such a beautiful way of talking about the right understanding of work and rest. We, we, we till the field, metaphorically speaking. We till the field in our, our working, but God in His common grace grows the seed that has been planted. And we work and there is great uh, favor and there's great blessing and, and, and we are to desire to do good work and to derive a, uh, uh, benefit from that, but also to know that this is from God. And God blesses uh, what we do. And so uh, I thought that was a, a helpful summary of what we looked at. All right, so where are we, where are we today? Well, on your outline, you'll see that uh, what we're going to look at first of all, before looking at what the Proverbs has to say about work, we're going to look at laziness. What do the Proverbs say about laziness? And we're going to start with this question. What are the characteristics of laziness? as it's specified in the Proverbs. What are the characteristics of laziness? Incidentally, the Proverbs have more to say about laziness than they do about work, something that I found statistically fascinating. I I didn't expect that when I began this topical study. Uh, But the Proverbs actually have quite a bit to say about laziness. And so, uh, as I have done in the other outlines, I have categorized this by assigned topics Let's start with this. Proverbs 12:27. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. And so one of the first characteristics of laziness is sloth. What is that? We, I mean, we know what the animal, a sloth, is, and so we get a figurative, uh, an image of what that probably is. But when the, the Scriptures use the word that's translated slothful, what does that mean? What does it mean to be slothful? Well, in, in general, uh, slothful means a reluctance to work, a reluctance to work. And, and you can see that definition partly in this first proverb. Look at this. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game. So, so the idea is, is that, that a wild animal uh, has uh, been killed and that, that game is brought in and is to be fixed for dinner and the slothful person does not roast it. And, and yet we know clearly uh, that the, the, the meat is to be cooked. We know that by virtue of the law, right? And so we have this imagery that, well, there's food and food's available, but this person will not go and do what needs to be done with this food. And so there's a reluctance to work. Or Proverbs 19.15, Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. Again, as we've studied the Proverbs up to this point, look at the poetic imagery here. First of all, slothfulness, if that is in fact a a reluctance to work, casts. That's an active verb, right? You cast something, you, you throw it, or you lay it up, or you're doing something active with it, right? Well, in this case, 
the, the sluggard or the slothful one's reluctance to work casts what? It provides, we could say, deep sleep. This is, this is not favorable. This is not the deep sleep that comes from resting in God's provision. But rather, this is a negative connotation, right? So what's it mean by slothfulness cast into a deep sleep? What, what, what is the, the, the sage conveying with this first half of this proverb? <clears throat> What's that? Yeah, lack of attention. Okay, a lack of attention, the inability to, to pay attention of the task at hand. Yeah, that's good. What else? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't care, and so I'll just I'll sleep it off, right? Yeah. The the general idea is is, and I think you're 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 capturing this, is the general idea is that A, slothfulness builds on itself. A reluctance to, to work becomes a habit. It becomes something that's formed in someone's life over repetition. And eventually what happens is, is that instead of being up and about and getting things done, remember last week, we, um, two weeks ago, we talked about the, the importance that Scripture places on being industrious. Well, this is, the, this is the opposite of that. Instead of being an industrious person, it's someone who is captured by sleep. And so they're falling into this deep sleep by virtue of their, their laziness. And then the second part of that says, an idle person. And so we pause there for just a second. Second clause of this proverb is like unto the first clause, right? But now the sage poetically has changed the person from the slothful to the idle person. Are they related? Yes. Could they be the same person? Probably, and so we see what he's doing now is he's now using a different defining characteristic of this person to tell us more. We know now the lazy person is captured by sleep, but we also know that there is a certain idleness to them. Instead of being up and about something, instead of doing something and working hard and being industrious, they're idle, and what's the result of that? What's the, the, the common grace Detriment of that. What did the Apostle Paul say? If you don't work, you don't eat, right? A drawing from that common grace wisdom, according to God's economy, this is the way that it is to be in general. And so the person who is lazy, the person who is idle, will suffer that hunger theoretically. So the first characteristic that we have is slothfulness. The second one is careless. Okay, how can it be externally imposed? Yeah, I, I, I agree completely. I don't think by virtue of the, the, the poetic structure of this, I don't think that's what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah, but undoubtedly, if someone's out of work, food becomes a necessity. That, that's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the, that, that's right. I think that's where we need to make the, care, the, the distinction between laziness and rest 
or leisure. Remember I talked about that uh, a couple of weeks ago where uh, leisure is actually a blessing from God. In fact, uh, many of the great things that have happened within human development have come from, from leisure. Uh, and uh, if you think about just in, in terms of uh, the, the blessing of science and technology that comes out of leisure in the sense that someone is in a positive sense idle enough that they can think and focus and work on something, uh, there is a certain aspect to, to my profession. I'm, I'm given a certain degree of leisure in the sense that instead of uh, digging ditches, I'm able to spend time in God's Word and write sermons and spend time in research and writing and things of that nature. And so uh, there, there is a, a certain aspect and blessing to that. But to J.D.'s point, uh, there, there can be imposed outside of ourselves. Proverbs 18.9, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Now, you, you may not agree with my classification here under careless, but what I'm trying to do is capture this idea. For, first of all, whoever is slack in his work, what, what does slack in his work mean? What do, let's just break it down. First of all, what do we know about this person? We know that they are working, Right? This is, this is a beautiful way in which the, the sage is going to teach us something not nearly as uh, in, a, in a black and white sense as we might think. So first of all, this person is working. And we would say, well, that's a good thing. They're, they're, they're not standing on the street corner waiting for a handout. Uh, they're, they're working, so that's a good thing. But it tells us something about their work, Right? In, in a sense, it could be someone who's not doing their job. If they, they are so supposed to be detailed and, and efficient and, and so forth and so on regarding what they, they do. It could also mean what? Yeah, yeah, that's great imagery. Yeah, instead of an, 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 a, a tight line... Is a line that the tension is there. Um, I'm, I'm uh, going to try to hold myself back and making all fly fishing references at this point. But a tight line is a good line, right? Uh, but a slack line is not a good line, and there's nothing going on, right? That's good imagery. What else? What else could slack in his work mean? Yeah, yeah. You both said the same word. Yeah. Yeah, You know, the Proverbs paints a picture for us, uh, and we're going to talk about this if we get to it today. I don't actually, it will probably be next Sunday, but, well, it won't be next Sunday, but anyway. Um, but, but talks about the, the one who serves before kings is one who is, and I'm paraphrasing, it, it's someone who does good work. Um, there, there is, and this is, I'll try not to, to preach a cultural diatribe here, but th this is something that you just don't hear about as much anymore, and, and that's in the sense of doing really good work and being self-satisfied in the quality of that work. 
Um, am, I, am I doing, to Chris's point, am I doing this to the glory of God? If nobody ever sees what I've done, and what I'm, am I pursuing excellence? And what, am I do, and what I'm doing, is it a, a good thing? Am I producing a good work in the, in the sense of, of a product, so to speak? And so whoever is slack in his work is someone who is not diligent in what they are to do, right? They've been given the work. That's a blessing from God. And yet, in their work, they're not doing as God has called them to do. And what does the Proverbs say that that is akin to? Or as the, the uh, sage puts it, a brother to? Destruction. Now, why is lazy work, why is carelessness in your work akin to destruction? Draw, draw that together for me, because this is the point of the proverb, right? How is carelessness in our work akin to destruction? Yeah, well, and if I may pick on, on you, Chris, so because you're the perfect example or easy example here. So Chris is an eye surgeon. Carelessness in eye surgery. Problem, no problem. Big problem. I mean, destruction would, would, would apply, wouldn't it? If Chris is careless in what he does... The result is it could, I mean, I would imagine carelessness in your provision could be loss of sight. And so this is an example, a perfect example of, of how being slack in work can lead to destruction. JJ? You were going to say that too. You were going to pick on Chris, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you think about it in. in, in absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and we learned this by reputation, which was the first comment you made. Yeah, yeah, and you can you can ruin your your business if you're slack if you're a slacker in in what you do, right? So that's akin to a destruction. That's good. Number three, undisciplined. Undisciplined. Proverbs nineteen twenty four. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Now, there are a number of Proverbs that I could have used in teaching the topic of undisciplined, but this is actually one of my favorite Proverbs. Uh, and, and so I, I, it tells us so much. So first of all, now we've got a, a change in the person. 
So we were talking about the slothful. Now we're talking about the sluggard. <laughs> Who, who's the sluggard? We need to understand that first. Who's the sluggard? So, so the, the, the sluggard, you could, you, could, uh, you could paraphrase that Hebrew word as the lazy one. The lazy one. Uh, we're just thankful to have a word for that. So sluggard is a, is a, a lazy one. So a, a, a lazy one, a sluggard, buries his hand in the dish and will not bring it back to his mouth. What's the imagery here? Let's make sure we get that first. What's the imagery? Too lazy to feed himself. Is, that's, the, that's the correlation. The picture is what? So, have, have you... <laughs> I, I can, so, grow, grow, growing up an, an athlete, I can remember two-a-day football practices. Some of you, are, I don't, they don't do these anymore, right? But two-a-day football practice, and I, I can remember being so tired at the dinner table that the dinner is in front of me, and I'm too tired to feed myself. And some of you have been that working out in the heat and things like this. You've encountered this before. I'm just, I am so exhausted that I just want to just lay my head in the plate and slurp, right? And I didn't. But you know what I'm talking about. But in this case, it's not a matter of fatigue, is it? The person's so lazy that they put their fork in the dish and then just too lazy to even bring it back to my mouth. Now, again, the, the, the sage here is, is using this poetic imagery. We may think, well, that's far-fetched, but what's he teaching us? What's the general idea that he's teaching us in this? What's that? Not feeding himself. That's exactly right. If I'm, if I'm lazy in, in what I'm doing, if I'm, I'm, I'm not working, I'm choosing not to work, I'm not being disciplined in, in, in my life, um, food's not going to make it to my mouth. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So it's a, it's a beautiful picture. Not beautiful, but I mean in terms of the way the sage has crafted the imagery. It's a, it's a wonderful picture that talks about the importance of a disciplined life. And so the one who is disciplined is the one who, figuratively speaking, feeds himself, right? He, he works, he gains money from his work, he then uses that money to buy food. And so in this sense, he's being disciplined in terms of providing for his needs. Number four, procrastination. Procrastination. <clears throat> Proverbs 20, verse 4. The sluggard does not plow in, in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. All right, so again, agrarian imagery here. Uh, what, what is the general idea that's being conveyed? Here's the sluggard again, so the lazy one. And what happens in autumn if you desire to have... Uh, a produce in the spring. Prepare your field, plow, plant the seed, etc., etc. It, it, I'll use this example in my in my sermon today. If if I want a cucumber in July, what do I have to do? And and many would say, go to the grocery store. 
right? But if I want a cucumber from my garden, what do I need to do? Plant about 60 days ago, right? To be able to get that, that summer cucumber. And, and, and so the, the, the idea remains the same. And yet, someone who says, well, I'll, I'll get around to it. I'll, 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 I'm going to put it off for now. I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I've got other things going on. Well, they can't expect what? They can't expect to be able to have the fruits in the spring. Now, what would, again, let's take this, since I, I don't know this to be the case, but as I look around, I'm guessing most of us, if not all of us, are not farmers. Um, and so, uh, since we're not, uh, what would be some examples of this? What would be some examples of making sure that we do what needs to be done in the autumn so that we may be benefited in the spring? What would be an, maybe an example from your business or, or your life? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, teaching our, our kids about the Lord at a young age as opposed to thinking that we'll just leave that up to the church or we'll just leave that something that we'll cover later. That's a good one. That's good. What else? Yeah, really. No, it's, it's the common grace uh, theology of reaping and sowing, isn't it? Yeah, if, if, if you don't sow, there will be nothing to reap. That's right. Other examples... <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, that's a great example. For those of you that don't know, Melissa owns True Grit Running Store and has had to go through the nightmare of all the supply chain issues uh, and so forth and so on. And, uh, and that's a great example. If, if you're not now thinking all the way into 2023, there, there won't be anything there for you to be able to sell for your customers. That's a, that's a good example. Me fixing turn 65 in a couple of You didn't have to tell us that. <laughs> Yeah. That's a great example. Yeah, saving for retirement. It's got to start start early, right? Yeah, right. My 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 daughter had a, a math teacher in high school that was trying to explain to the students about compound interest. And so he said, if you will go and put, and I, you remember how much it was? Was it $100? I mean, it wasn't very much, but if you put, uh, I think it was $100 in an IRA, you'll be a millionaire by X age. And, you know, Gracie comes home from, uh, from school, and she's like, I'm going to be a millionaire. And, um, and, and so, so no, no joke, she set up an IRA account. I helped her set up an IRA account, and, and she put some money that she had saved into that IRA account. And then the next year, this is the daughter that I have, she's in college. The next year, she's putting money in the IRA account, you know, just like every other college student. And, um, and the next year, and, 
and then life hits, right? She gets married, and it's like that year, well, we, we don't have the money to put in the IRA account. And the next year rolls around, well, we don't have money to put in the IRA account. And you're right. I mean, life sneaks up on us, and before long, you wake up and, you know, uh, where is Steve? Oh, there he is. Okay, okay. I was going to say, you could wake up and be 87 like Steve and wonder, you know, why didn't I... <laughs> This year? This year. Well, that's why we're here, Steve. We're here to talk about your retirement and your, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, number five, uh, <laughs> self-indulgent. self Indulgent, and I added here uh, on your notes self indulgent in sleep, self indulgent in talk, self indulgent in pursuits. And I've got three proverbs for us to look at that deal with those three areas, but the general topic is self indulgence as a characteristic of laziness. Proverbs 20, verse 13 Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes, and you will have plenty of bread. Okay, so. Uh, again, note the, the poetic hyperbole here. Um, is sleep a bad thing? No. Is sleep a good thing? Yes. Does Scripture clearly say that the Lord gives His beloved sleep? Yes, it does. Sleep is a blessing from God. So what is the sage teaching us here by saying, love not sleep? You know, all you do is, is sleep. Yeah? What else? What's he, what's he teaching us here? Yeah. Yeah. You, if, if, if you need to be up and about uh, the industry of the day, uh, it's going to be really hard if you're laying in bed. Right? And, and so the, the general idea is that if, and, and the reason why I've categorized this under self-indulgence is it, it, it uses the word love. And so it's the, the idea that that's something that you sort of are, are known for. Well, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm known for, and I'm not known for this, by the way, but, you know, I'm known for sleep until one o'clock. Or I'm known for, you know, just, just all my extra time. I'm just, I'm sleeping away. Well, The proverb says that's not a positive characteristic, and if it turns into a habit, then it's going to cause all kinds of problems in our our life. In fact, it says that the one who loves sleep, meaning one who has indulged themselves with this kind of laziness, what's the result? Poverty. They can't provide for themselves because they are indulging in this sleep. Or what about talk? Proverbs 14, 23, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. What's the first clause? What's the general idea here? All toil there is profit. We we would just put this very simply. Work is good. (laughs) Radical concept, I know. Work is good. It's good to work. 
right? I mean, there's a certain aspect uh, of, of us, and I, again, I know that, that, that we're, we're all of us in here at different phases of life, and young and, and old and, and retired or working or so forth and so on. So, so the, but the general idea is, is the benefit and blessing of industriousness, right? I mean, some of you may, may be like me, but, but I feel like that each day I need to be able to look back on the day and say, I got this, this, and this accomplished. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a list maker, and, and if I didn't accomplish the objectives that I've set for that day, I'm frustrated, and I, I don't feel like that I, I got uh, what I needed to get done. And, and there can be a sinfulness to that, to be, to be clear, but the other side of it is, is God has wired us to work. And so we're to be a people who are to be productive, to be industrious. And in all toil, there, there's a profit. There's a benefit to, to working, right? But mere talk tends only to poverty. Is the sage talking about talking? No. no. So what's talk a metaphor for? How does he use the metaphor of talking here? What's he teaching us? Right, so I'll give you an example, and we, we'll, we'll hope that this former college roommate of mine never watches our Sunday school videos. I don't think he ever will. Uh, so I had, a, I had a roommate in college, and uh, he came to me and he says, you know, John, the difference between you and me is, is that you're, you're a perfectionist, and I'm a perfectionist that just doesn't get it accomplished. And I said, what? I don't, I don't think that's a perfectionist. I, don't, I, don't, I think maybe you're confusing things. And, and, and he said, well, I, I have the same intentions that you do. I just don't get them done. And so it entered into a conversation because I'm, I'm thinking, I mean, look, you can't even fold your underwear. I mean, you know, come on. I know you're not a perfectionist. And you leave all your stuff on the floor and you're, you know, a, you know anyway. So, but I, I gave this example. I said, I said, okay. Here, here's the distinction. You've got, you, you've got a, a planner notebook. I've got a planner notebook. That's a good thing. You write things down. Sometimes I write things down most of the time. And we have these things that we want to accomplish. But I said, all you ever do is write them down. You've got 12 notebooks. And you don't ever do the things that you write down. I said, what if you just wrote one thing down and got that one thing done that day? He's like, yeah. so he left and went off to school somewhere else. Um, so, but but the, the general idea that, that, that I was trying to convey to the guy, even at a, you know, I was just a stupid college student, uh, was that if all you ever do is talk about what you're going to do, I'm pretty sure you're not ever going to get anything done. And there was a certain self-indulgence to this, is that he sort of, of saw himself as being productive because he wrote it down. I'm like, dude, writing it down, you're not getting anything done. And so the general idea is he was all talk and talk, led to, to poverty. And I, I do think he ended up graduating from college, but the general idea was the same. Proverbs 12, 11, and 12. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. 
Whoever is wicked covets the spoil of evildoers, but the root of the righteous bears fruit. Now, there are all sorts of poetic imagery in this, these two Proverbs here, and, but we don't have time to, to drill into them. In, in general, what I want you to do is look at the first verse. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. <clears throat> the general idea, which we've already talked about, is we're to be industrious, We're to work. Work is a good thing. But look at the second clause. He who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Now, in parallelism, in the the, the poetic device of parallelism, we might want to see these as opposing one another or as the sage dealing with two different topics. But I believe that the sage is talking about the same thing in two different ways. He's using the two clauses to bring together one general idea, and the general idea is what? Okay. That's good. Yeah, without being smart about it. For the sake of the recording, I'll, I'll re- repeat. He, he said that, that there's a difference between uh, working and working smart. You can, you can work hard, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're working smart at it. Uh, in, in a sense, if we, we draw that correlation with the second clause of this first proverb, is you can work hard at worthless pursuits, Right? I mean, how, how many of us know people, and I will hope we're not that person, but how many of us know, know people that uh, work so hard, at, so much harder at their recreation than that they do at their job? And you, and you wonder sometimes, you think, man, if you would just pour that level of intensity into what you do, it, it would be extraordinary. And, and so we can, we can get all caught up in, in worthless pursuits or even in that which is is hard work, but not working for the right, in the right way or for the right objective, right? Not working a smart, so to speak. And then look at the second half of this. Whoever is wicked covets the spoil of evildoers, but the root of the righteous bears fruit. And, and the main thing I'm wanting to draw there is that second clause. The root of the righteous bears fruit. What, what is the root of the righteous? Well, there are different arguments among the scholars on this, but the, the one that, that I think makes the most sense contextually is you could insert the word integrity there. The root of the righteous is integrity. They're a person who knows when it's time to work hard. They're the one who knows when it's time to rest. There is an integrity to to their being. And by virtue of that integrity, it produces hard work when there needs to be hard work, right work when it needs to be right work. And that also applies to their own personal life, doesn't it? In terms of bearing fruit in their lives, a person of integrity, you will eventually see the fruits of that in their life. 